All right, so uh, since we turned this new leaf, um, the Lord has been speaking to us on one topic. This, there's a central theme to the conversations we've been having both on Sundays and on Wednesdays. And please, I want to encourage you, if you are here or if you're under the sound of my voice, I know we have uh, an audience that connects online, those who get to hear these messages later. But please, 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 I want you to ensure that you do not miss any of the installments in the series this month. All right, the grand theme that we've been considering is all in, all in, A-L-L, completely in, completely in and sold out. And the emphasis has been that God is beckoning on us and calling us to a place of complete total submission, all right? Um, the difference between um, his invitation is that he will stand at a door and knock, all right? The enemy doesn't respect doors. He doesn't respect boundaries. But God will stand. Jesus says, Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at a door and I knock. He says, If any man hear me, let him do what? Open. All right, so it, there is a willingness there. There is a participation that he, there is somewhat like a consent form that God, I'm giving you permission from this moment onwards to be not just my savior, but also become my Lord. Praise God. I hope you know that when there is a change in status from savior to Lord, lordship implies complete total obedience. There is that implication of obedience that if indeed this is your Lord, then you will do as he pleases. You will do as he says, not just at your own pace, not just at your own time. Not only will you do what he has said, but you will do what he has said promptly. Praise God. Praise God. And last week Wednesday, we were walking through the recipes for repeated encounters. Re recipes for repeated divine encounters. Uh, we talked about hunger, we talked about humility, and we spent time emphasizing on the heart. Spent time emphasizing on the heart. Um, Solomon said, he said, guard your heart with all diligence, all right? What he's saying is install gates, install a security platform. He's saying this entity is so precious that you cannot leave it to chance. It's amazing that we live in a generation where so many leave the state of their hearts to chance. They, they leave it to be fed and inspired by what the media says today or what the news say tomorrow or what this politician thinks or what this religious leader thinks. All right, but Solomon admonishes us. He says to guard your heart. It means you need to ensure that there is a system of approval that will permit what will go into your heart and what won't go into your heart. If you live a life where everything that you're exposed to is what forms your expectations, forms your desires, forms your understanding, then you are going to be limited in your work with God. Praise God. Praise God. So today we're going to be talking about places. We're going to be talking about places. We're going to be talking about places. And we're going to be looking at a very important question. The first question God asked man, where are you? And at the end of today, it is my desire that we will heed that invitation to come to a place. That the invitation will not just be left pending. You know, Jesus gave uh, a parable once about a man who had um, put together a feast and he needed people to come. And he sent the servant said... <clears throat> I need you to get people, go invite them. And he said they didn't take him seriously. You know, he invited this one. He said, we are busy. We are busy. Okay, you know what? We've tried to respect the nobles. Now, let's democratize this. Let's open it up to everybody, all right? And that parable has implications in terms of Jews, Gentiles, and preference, and all of that. But the point we're trying to make here is that there is an invitation on the table for us. And it is my prayer that at the end of today, we will say yes. Now, the invitation on the table is not an invitation to a group. All right. It is not an invitation that pastor can say yes on your behalf. It is not an invitation that your husband can say yes on your behalf. It is not an invitation that your wife or your child or your father can say yes on your behalf. Scripture teaches us that there are certain benefits that we enjoy by virtue of being families. Are we still together? Are we still together? There is a level of, 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 of spiritual position that the father of a house can represent the family. Like Joshua, we can declare boldly that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? All right? And then the Bible talks about the believing wife sanctifying her husband. 
So I'm just walking into scriptures where family members can stand in. The Bible tells us about the blood that it says, any house that I see the lintel upon. Now, the angel of destruction is not going to verify who is in the house. He's not even verifying if they're actual Hebrews or Egyptians. Are, are we still together? As far as I see the blood, then I'm going to cross. So those are family benefits. Those are benefits you enjoy by being a part of a particular family. However, the invitation on the plate this evening is going to be one to an individual. It's going to be one to you. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer when we are done this evening, is that, God, I receive the grace to say yes to your invitation. I receive the grace to say yes to your invitation. Praise God. Father, as we go into your word, we ask that you speak to us. We don't want to hear the words or the opinions of any man. We ask that your counsel alone be established. For in Jesus' name we have prayed. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Glory to God. I said glory to God. I said glory to God. All right, so we start from Genesis this evening, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8 to 9. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They there is referring to Adam and his wife Eve. It says, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Now, I want you to note that. It says, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. So they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day as usual because God had these meetings regularly with them. However, on this particular day, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I want you to underline that. We are not touching that today. We are going to touch that a bit on Sunday. But it says they hid from the presence of the Lord. Now, we know that it is impossible to hide from the presence of the Lord, right? Hello, do we know that? It is impossible. As far as they were concerned, there was a new experience that they now had that thought or gave them that impression that we can hear him, but we can avoid him and convince ourselves that we are outside of the reach of his presence. I need you to follow him. So they heard the sound of the Lord God walking and they hid themselves from the presence. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Somebody say, where are you? All from the beginning of time, God's quest to restore relationship begins with that question, where are you? Now, do not be tempted to think this is a question on location. God has never had issue knowing our geography. He doesn't need sensors. He doesn't need trackers. He knows where you are. So this question cannot imply where is your physical geographical location. Are you still with me, church? So this is not a question about where do you live? Where is your address? Where are you currently located? No. He's saying, where are you? It means that there is a place. There is a position that I placed man. There is a height. There is a pedestal. There is a level of access that I've placed man. And I've checked that place and it's vacant. So now I need to find out that this man has left the place I put him. He was still in the garden. Hello? Are we still in church? Hello? He was still in the garden. He was still in the garden. The Bible literally says they hid among the trees of the garden. Reminding us that they were still in the garden, but they had left a place. They had left a position. Praise God. Let's scroll very quickly to Psalm 139, verse 7 to 12. Psalm 139, verse 7 to 12. It says, this is the psalm he's speaking. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? It says, if by some technology I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea. Did somebody catch that? For those of you who want to do business in deep waters, have you seen the transportation? Have you seen it? I just feel like stopping here for a second. But I see where the Lord is taking us to. It says if I take the wings of the morning, so when you want to dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, you, you, you ride on the wings of the morning. Hmm. So those of you that struggle for 5 a.m. <laughs> Praise God. Someone say, Pastor, will not leave us. I will, I will leave you alone. You know, my wife saw a vision that uh, it was one of the mornings that we were praying. And she just checked the number of people praying. I want, and it was in the thousands. I was like, wow, I can't wait for that day to come. And we're not changing the time. It's still that same time. People will wake up to pray. It says, if I go on the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely, now listen, surely the darkness 
shall fall on me. Even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. Now, he now makes a profound statement here. He says, darkness and light are both alike to you. Do we, do we, do we read these things in scripture sometimes? Hmm. So David is saying here that as far as location is concerned, there is no place that we can be located that God won't see us. However, there is a place that a pedestal that God has put us that we can shift from. And then God says, where are you? Somebody say, where are you? So this evening, God is calling you. I want you to receive this word as a word for you, for you, for me. All right, God is calling you. I'm going to walk through four places, four places that God is calling us to. Um, before I go on further, please, um, I know, I know there might be people listening to this and are saying, are you saying that location is not important? Are you saying God is not in interested in location? Now, God is very interested in location. He's very interested in location, and I'm going to say that. However, the importance to location is a dimension of atmospheres. All right, and I'm going, to, I'm going to break that down. I'm going to break that down a bit. Now, it, it was very important for those who worked with God early. You will notice that they will travel to a place and they will build an altar, right? And they will call on the name of the Lord there. And they will travel somewhere else and build an altar. Now, the reason why they had those altars was because the predominant engagement of their age was very pagan. They worshipped pagan gods. They bowed before all sorts. So the way they identified with the God of heaven was for them to build an altar, a physical location that will literally act as more of a portal between realms where humanity can communicate with divinity. Are we still together? That is the essence of all of those commutes and physical locations, all right? And they progressed from altars to, 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 to tents and from tents to tabernacles and from tabernacles to temples and from temples to the main temple such that you will feel that if I only can get to this main temple, then I can get the whole of heaven to attend to me. Are we still together? Are we still together? So it's still a million-dollar industry today that many people feel they have to travel to some holy ground for them to, you know, connect with some power. Some people will say, I need to go to, to Israel. I need to enter into the tomb where my Lord was buried. I need to play with the sands from the shore of Galilee. I need to drink the water from Jordan. And they sell all these things as memorabilia. They sell them as souvenirs. So you, you, you know, if you've gone for pilgrimage before, sometimes they'll bring mustard seed for you. Tell you, this is the mustard seed. This is how small your faith should be. You know, sometimes they bring anointing oil. And I tell you, this anointing oil is from Galilee. Or it's from Capanum, you know, just some big name for, oh, so that we can attach. Let me tell you, you need that oil so that that tourism industry survives. The moment you detach the oil from it, then it doesn't survive. A lot of the things they are calling, pre those things were recreated and preserved. It's not a real tomb. Somebody said, let's make a tomb this way and say this is the tomb of Arimathea. And then people will pay an extra fee if you want to see it. Joseph of Arimathea, that's the tomb. You know, they are just collecting your money. Hello. Hello. People are like, don't say that. Don't say it. Don't say it. Praise God. Praise God. So I'm going to show you from scripture that the conversation on geography was summarized in Christ. It was summarized in Christ. John chapter 4, 21 to 23. If they can put it on the screen for us. Jesus was at the well having a conversation with a woman at an odd time of the day. He shouldn't have been talking with that woman in any ways. And when the woman discovered that this indeed is a prophet, there was something on her mind. Now, she was the kind of person that you and I would have judged as someone not to have a religious kind of conversation. She was the kind of person that we would, in today's world, consider a, a what? A sugar mommy or a slay queen. I mean, someone who's gone from... Man to man to man to man to man. Five men. I mean, that's a star, man. All right. So, so that's what they call themselves now. Praise God. Praise God. Now she discerns. Now follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Because, because this thing, she discerned that he was a prophet. And she had a question for him. And she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Can you take us to 20? Before we come back to 21. 20. 20. It says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, referring physically to Mount Gerizim. Anybody knows the history of Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal? Mount Gerizim. 
Okay, we should just talk about it very quickly, and we'll just zoom, zoom. So when the Israelites were on their journey to the promised land, God ordained Moses to have a mountain of blessings and a mountain of curses. We'll pronounce the blessing on a particular mountain. We'll pronounce the blessing, the curses on a particular mountain. Are you still with me? Hello, are we still in church? And it's important. It's, there are just so many things that we could just quickly, quickly go into. Why do you have to stand on the mountain to give blessing? Why do you have to stand on the mountain to give a curse? Why did Balak convince Balaam to change locations and to go to different mountains to be able to issue certain decrees? So the lady says, this is where they worshipped. You Jews say it has to be Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the right place. So Jesus, in verse 21, says that this conversation of geography, it's finally coming to an end. It won't matter whether it is Jerusalem. It won't matter whether it is Gerizim. It won't matter whether it is Ebal. It won't even matter whether it is the mountain of a blessing or whether it is the mountain of a curse. What is going to matter is the essence of the worship that the people bring to me. That God is actually looking for these people. He's searching for them. Those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Not those who will travel a thousand miles to be at a particular location. It's amazing how far we travel to a place where our heart isn't. We want to meet with God for the things in his hands. Our heart is not there. That is not worship. Praise God. Praise God. So do you agree with me that Jesus nullified the concept of, of geography here? However, however, I will be giving you an incomplete truth if I don't tell you that locations still matter. And why locations matter is because we have the ability to recreate altars now in a way that the goal of the altar now is to create atmospheres. The church is the people. Hello? We are the church. The building is not the church. As we worshiped, we know that the presence of the Lord was here. As the word is coming forth, we know the presence of the Lord is here. If all of us live here and we go outside, where is the presence of the Lord? With us. Because we carry the presence of the Lord. Are you still with me? Now, by repeated, repeated meetings in this place, all right, we create and sustain an atmosphere that somebody who completely doesn't know what this place is or what they do here can literally walk by the door and have a lump in their body disappear because we've created an atmosphere. Are you still with me? So while locations don't matter, it still remains a law in the spirit that repeated altars create an atmosphere. Praise God. So I just wanted to hide that at the back of your mind as we go into the four places. Somebody say four places where the Lord is calling us to. Let me tap your neighbor. Say, where are you? Did he answer? You look for another neighbor. Say, where are you? So the Lord is calling us to four places. And the first one we are going to consider this evening is, is calling us to a place of communion. Somebody say communion. The Lord is calling us to a place of communion. The Lord is calling me. I told you, you have to individualize this message. The reason why you have to individualize this message is because if you take it as a collective invitation, as though we are sending representatives. Are you, you know when God told Moses, he said, tell the Israelites, tell them to consecrate themselves. I want to have a meeting with them. And just before God showed up, there was, it was so terrible. The Bible says there was earthquake, there was thunder, there was light, and God had not even shown up. You know what the leader said? They went to Moses, he said, you, you know what Moses we know that God talks to you. You go to God. Whatever God tells you, you come tell us. We are fine. We believe, we believe. Why? God doesn't have any points to prove. Let him talk to you, and you talk to us. Why? They couldn't pay the price to host the presence of God. They were willing to sublet it and to contract it. In the same way, the call for a place of communion is not a general invitation spread out to a church where the church now sends representatives that act as contractors of his presence. I'm sure Pastor is praying. I'm sure Pastor Mrs. is praying. I'm sure PJ is praying. They're on the mountain, you know, blasting tongues for us. I'm fine with my life. And God is saying, I have an invitation. It has your name on it. I'm calling you to a place of communion. A place of communion. A place of intimacy between you and me. A place where you can whisper to my ears. A place of sincerity. A place of vulnerability. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. Is that in your Bible? Somebody say since early days. 
Somebody says since early days. So he had been doing this for a long time, daily, consistently, on his knees, at least three times. Consistently. Let me tell you, nothing great springs up overnight. Did you hear me? Nothing great springs up overnight. Nothing great. It might spring up, it won't be great. It might spring up, it won't last. Let me tell you, the dimension of glory that is coming on you, don't rush it. Just continue being consistent. Continue being consistent. Continue being consistent. Don't, 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 don't forcefully deliver a premature baby. Just continue being consistent. It's growing on your inside. We might not even see it. You know the early weeks, early weeks of conception, you don't see it. You don't know it. After a while, you start feeling nauseous. After a while, you feel like you're not sure if it's fever, if it's, you know, if you are from the part of the world I'm from, if it's malaria, you know, you're just thinking, what is it? Why am I not feeling too well? It's eventually, eventually, that will begin to see a protrusion. And even that isn't a child outward. It's just a sign. Because eventually, there will be pangs, and then there will be delivery. So there is that consistency in communion. The strength of communion is not in how long. It is how consistent. The how long is a product of consistency. The how long is a product of consistency. Many believers just want to go to a camp and have a nice time once in a year, once in a quarter, and daily you find no relationship. Daily you find, and it's the same people that keep saying things about the church. There is no power, there is no anointing. And we are saying you've not even called on this power. You've not even held this anointing. You've not smelt it, you've not perceived it. I'm already making a verdict. On the power you've not tested. Praise God. Somebody said there's still power. Somebody said there is still power. So this is a call to a place of communion. A place of personal intimacy as the early days. Even in the face of death. The Bible says Daniel did it three times that day. This was after a law was passed that no one should pray. Imagine a land where there is no prayer. No one should pray. He said no. I'm going to do it the first time. Oh, they thought maybe it was bluffing. Maybe it was a mistake. Say, no, this is not a mistake. I'm going to do it the second time. I'm going to go on my knees. I'm going to open my... You know, if he had shut his window for just that day, God would have understood. For just that day. Or for those 30 days. Was he still praying? Yes, he was still praying. But he didn't want them to... He's saying that the relationship I have with my God is not on the altar of policy. It's not on the altar of what your laws say. This is a life and death issue. I drink from his well. I feed from his fountain. Somebody say a place of communion. A place of communion. Luke chapter 22 verse 39. Luke chapter 22 verse 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him. This is talking about Jesus. Coming out... He went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him to a place of communion, a place of intimacy. Praise God. Praise God. Are you still in church this evening? So what's the first place the Lord is calling us to this evening? A place of communion. The number two place, and this one, please open your heart and receive it. It's calling us to a place of worship. It's calling us to a place of worship. It's calling us to a place of worship. He's calling us to a place of worship. God is calling a people to a place of worship. I think one of the biggest successes that the devil will rejoice over for our generation is that we have reduced worship to a song. We have reduced worship to music. And so it would give him great joy. It's almost... Like having a pen, which is a trigger to a nuclear bomb. I don't know if, if you're familiar with all those 007 movies. You know how they just show up. Is it cute? Just show up and start bringing gadgets and showing Bond. So what is this? Oh, it's a phone. Oh, nice. And it's about to make a call. You know, something is happening somewhere. That's why you know it's a phone, but it's not a phone. It's a pen, but it's not a pen. Hello? Hello, are you still with me? So we reduced worship to just a slow song. I remember when I started rethinking this conversation. I was a lot younger. I can't remember what age now. If I was to guess, let me see. Maybe about 
16 or 17. That's my guess. 15, thereabouts. I was playing the piano. Uh, I think I've shared it with the choir before. I was playing the piano um, during the worship, which is what we say and how we say it during the worship. And it was obvious that the presence of the Lord was tangible. You know, people were rolling on the floor. You know, people were prophesying tongues, all sorts. It was powerful. My hands on the piano. And as I was playing, I just felt so charged up under the anointing. And I said, wow, I felt like in that moment I should just lie down, all right, in his presence. So I left the piano. And then as I was going down, it was literally as if the Holy Spirit just walked out. Boom. Every, the place was just silent. What I didn't realize the, my, the guy that was mentoring me, who was the main keyboardist, he just turned like the, the, the piano power of the, the plug, you know, just trying to troubleshoot. He saw I was the one of the piano. So he tapped, he said, get back, get back there. And then I, saw, I said to him innocently, I said, I was just trying to worship. And he said, your hand on those keys, that is your worship. Though sometimes we're in church, and maybe there are photographers taking pictures, and you're almost running the commentary for them rather than worshiping your worship. That, oh, the worship is going on. Why are they taking pictures? Not knowing that your worship is you focusing. Their worship in that moment is the service and obedience of taking what? Pictures. Are you still with me? Sometimes in the church service, you have people outside parking the cars. You know, sometimes in the snowstorm, there is. Every anointing, you know, people falling inside, they are parking cars outside. I almost worried on their behalf when you should be focused on your own behalf and leave them because they are worshiping their worship. You should be worshiping your own worship on the inside. So it's not just a song. It's not a fast song. It's not when we slow it down. Macha, 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 praise. Macha, macha, somebody raise a voice. My jam. Hey. Praise God. Praise God. So God is calling us to a place of worship. Let me show you two scriptures. Just two scriptures that will help you. They are really, really going to help you. Genesis chapter 22 from verse 4 to 5. In Bible interpretation, there is a law called the law of first mention. It means if you want to get the thoughts, the original idea behind the concept, you visit where it was first used. All right? The very first time the word worship shows up in scripture is here. All right? The Bible tells us that Abraham was on the way to sacrificing his son, his only son, his beloved son, Isaac. Now, it says in verse 4, then on the third day, somebody say on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Verse 5, and Abraham said to his young men, he says, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Is that in your Bible? Is that in your Bible? It means that true worship is always at a place afar off. There is a journey involved. It is not convenient and not everybody will go there. You will need to leave some people behind. You need to leave some people to stay here while we go younger. We go yonder. We go the extra mile because true worship will always involve sacrifice. It says, stay here. They saw the place afar off. Now, we can't do it here. I know it involves me putting a knife on the lad, but it's not just anywhere. There is a place of sacrifice where I have to go in complete obedience that this sacrifice becomes acceptable. I and the lad will go yonder to worship. Your worship takes place at an afar of place. Sometimes you are the only one that understands it. You are rushing to meet 7 p.m. on Wednesday on a weekday. Nobody gets it. Your colleagues don't get it. They're telling you you should be at home. You should be at home with the kids. You should be resting. You should be resting. What are you looking for? You are waking up on Sunday. They tell you you should be sleeping. You're moving around to evangelize and invite people to church. They tell you you are wasting your time. That you've carried this foolish religion on your head. But you know that is your worship. Your worship isn't when choir starts singing a slow song. Your worship is an obedience that is executed in a place of inconvenience. It's a far off. Not everybody can get there. Praise God. Praise God. Somebody say a far off. If it's convenient, it's most likely not worship. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? If it's convenient, convenient. And I think the requirement of today's 21st century Christian for service, the number one requirement is convenience. I will do it on my terms. 
I will do it on my time. I will do it at my bidding. I will do it when I want to. As far as it is done, God, you should be happy after all that we still do it. Because there are a lot of people not doing it. Let me tell you, even, God, even though God is searching, he's not stranded. He's never stranded. He's searching, but he's not stranded. This commodity must be really scarce for God to be looking for it. We are the real sacrifices. People that even your pastor might not know what it costs you to be where you are doing what you are doing. Your pastor might never tell you thank you. Your head of ministry might never even see it. You know, you are literally, you've, you've come to church with your last penny. You know you are walking back home and your, your head of department says you are late. And you have the, 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 the gumption not to be annoyed. Knowing fully well that indeed I am late, but I have to be here. Are you getting what we're talking about here? Not, you don't even, you don't, you don't know I gave my last. No, it's not the worship to pastor, it's worship to God. The one who should know that was your last, he knows. He knows. I am praying God speak on somebody to just sow into my life. And nobody is sowing, they can't hear, they can't hear God. God is saying, give that brother $20. Pay that brother's transport. Call an Uber to take them home. You know, but you, we, 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 can't, we can't hear that. And you walk back home and say, oh, they don't hear God. They don't hear God in that place. And God is saying, well, you heard me. And you obeyed me and I saw your sacrifice. And I will bless you for it. That is your worship. Praise God. Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8, verse 25 and verse 27, I will read. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. So he's saying, go worship. And Moses says, we will go three days journey. Somebody say three days journey. Egypt and Pharaoh will always want convenient worship. They will say, worship your God here. Don't go too far. Don't use your cattle. Don't involve your family. You, don't, you know, all sorts of negotiations. But he says, we need to go three days. We need to go afar off into the wilderness and to sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. Praise God. Praise God. So where's the first place God is calling us to? A place of communion with consistency. He's calling us secondly to a place of worship with what? Sacrifice. Inconvenience. You know between you and your God what it costs you to be here. What it costs you to be doing what you are doing. What it costs you to wake up 5 a.m. every day to commit and you say, God, if no other person in the world wakes up to pray, I'm going to awake and pray. God is looking for a man to stand in the gap. Say, God, you will find my voice. We might have one million people on the call. I don't know what the 999,000 people are doing, but my one voice is praying. It doesn't matter what time I go to bed. I have that covenant with you. It will be inconvenient. Sometimes your alarm is going off. You literally want to break the phone, but you remember that my worship is not convenient. It's not convenient. Praise God. Praise God. So God is calling us to a place of communion. He's calling us to a place of worship. Number three, God is calling us to a place of the blessing. Somebody say the blessing. Somebody say the blessing. I'm praying and trusting God that we will have time to dissect the concept of the blessing. But please let me just share a few thoughts in this moment to help us understand. The blessing is not anything physical or tangible. The blessing will produce physical and tangible evidence in your life. However, that is not what the blessing is. Are you still with me this evening? That is not what the blessing is. The blessing. The, somebody say the blessing. Somebody say the blessing. Isaac in his old age wanted to bless his children. And he wanted to transfer something to the firstborn. Esau. You familiar with the story? Isaac didn't know that there had been a conversation one day when Esau was hungry and when Esau dishonored the concept of the, of the birthright and said, you know what, what is birthright when my tummy needs something? All right, and he sold it, right? We're familiar with that story? And then the Bible tells us that the wife heard the whispers and she said, young man, get up. We need to do this. And Jacob was afraid. Like, Mommy, we can't do this. This is not right. This is not right. How would you tell me to take my brother's blessings? She said, shut up, shut up, just do as I say, shut up. I was like, oh, mommy, you know my brother has a lot of air. Shut up. They're going to wear his fur coat. I, think, I don't know if it was Canada Goose or Fendi or Gucci, but it was hairy stuff. Say, so you're going to wear that, I'm going to go, all right? So he said, I don't even know how they prepare meat. How do you tenderize the meat, you know? How do you? He said, I'm his wife. I know how he loves it. 
and make it. Made everything. Said, take it to him. And he got there. The person who was giving the blessing could not see. But he still had the power to give the blessing. And then he says, well, you are sounding like Jacob, my son, but you know, the feel is like he saw the, you know, everything, the skin, the everything. At the end of the day, who got the blessing? Jacob, right? Jacob got the blessing, right? And because Esau thought the blessing is just what you say. He doesn't know it is literally an entity that you transfer, although it's words. So he shows up and says, well, dad, I don't know what that guy did. That's his name. His name was supplanter. He has supplanted once again. Anyways, you've given him something. That's fine. You've given him a blessing. Please also give me a blessing. And he's saying, no, you don't understand it. I didn't give him a blessing. I gave him the blessing. And it's gone. It's, go- it's literally gone. He couldn't get it. He said, just say words. Just say, any other, just say God bless you. He said, you don't, you don't understand it. I can say God bless you. However, there is a the blessing. And I have released it. Esau still didn't get it. You know why I know Esau didn't get it? This is not even where I'm going to. Esau didn't get it because when Jacob would later meet Esau, you know he sent, he arranged his family in the order of importance. And I'm going to break that down for you to see something later. He arranged his family that if Esau is mad and he wants to kill somebody, let him kill those ones first. Then those ones, then those ones, then those ones. He kept his dearest wife and his dearest children with him at the back. He sent the other ones ahead. All right, but that's not where I'm going to. Eventually, when Jacob and Esau met, Esau said, what are all these things? I see so much gold and silver. I see so much money. I see Rolex. I see Balenciaga. I see all of these things. You know, what's going, what's all this? And Jacob said, you know, they are for you, my Lord. He was saying, my Lord, my Lord, Esau, everything is for you. And Esau said, no, I don't need all these things. He said, see, the Lord has blessed me also. Hey, guy, you are mistaking the blessing. What you have is a blessing. What Jacob has is not the flocks, is not the wife. That is not the blessing. Those are produces of the blessing. So Esau, even at that moment, still thought, well, God has still blessed me. I have cattle, you have cattle. I have kids, you have kids. I have servants, you have servants. In fact, net worth for net worth, I've never been a slave. I didn't serve 14 years to marry wife. Woo! Glory to God. Glory to God. Somebody say, the blessing. And I'm going to show you that this blessing is commanded. This blessing is commanded. Hmm. This blessing is commanded. As Isaac handed it over to Jacob, when it was Jacob's turn to hand it over, you know Joseph brought his kids. He arranged Ephraim. He arranged Manasseh and Ephraim. But Jacob knew from the, the way the thing has been passing. He said, this thing doesn't pass normally. It doesn't go in a normal direction. There's a direction it has to go. And he, he crossed his hand. Joseph said, no, dad, not that way. This is the first child. He said, don't worry. Don't worry. I know what I'm doing. The blessing. Somebody say the blessing. Two scriptures. Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Are you being blessed this evening? Psalm 133. Behold how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion. It says, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. For there the Lord commanded the blessing. Behold how good and pleasant it is, if only these brethren will dwell together in unity. If only they will dwell together in unity, then they will see the blessing commanded. A blessing commanded, decreed, life forevermore. Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 12, Ezekiel chapter 1, 11 and 12. It says, thus where the faces, their wings stretched upward, two wings of each one touched one another, and two covered their bodies, and each one went straight forward, they went wherever the Spirit wanted to go. And they did not turn where they went. He says that there was a communication, there was a sinking, there was unity between them, and they went wherever the Spirit wanted them to go. The Lord commands the blessing in a place where he finds unity of purpose. In a place where the heart of the people is one. 
not the hearts, are one. Because they, the power of unity is not many looking alike. That is uniformity. Hmm. The power of unity is many becoming one. And if there's anything that is lacking in the body of Christ today, it's unity. When pastors tearing down pastors on pulpits, rather than preaching the message and identifying the brethren, it's always what is wrong with the other church, what they didn't do, what they thought that they shouldn't have taught, or they didn't teach well, or they didn't teach it completely or well enough, or how you were the first person to teach it, and they didn't reference you because they taught what you taught. The blessing won't be commanded in the atmosphere. It won't be commanded in the atmosphere. Which is why the onus is on us to strive, as Paul admonishes us, to guard the unity of the Spirit. The moment you see strife, you let it go. It says there every evil work abounds. I understand that concept because I did science. In microbiology, we have what we call culture medium. It's a broth. If you want to grow some particular types of organisms, you maximize their growth by creating a kind of an environment where their growth is maximized. We call it agar. So the agar for demonic operation is strife. It says where you find it all sorts. You go on in that place. So a place of blessing is a place of unity. A place where I do not insist on how I feel. I only insist on what he wants. Let me tell you the key to unity in the body of Christ. It is not us agreeing and saying yes. It's not us becoming more yes men. No. That's, it's not us necessarily even sacrificing or crucifying the flesh more. No. As it were, that's not the key. The real key is all pointing to Jesus. In that way, when we discover that we are looking at the same person, then we discover that we are working eventually towards the same goal. Are you still with me? Hello? Are you still with me? For instance, if you give me five hours, let's assume this is a piece, a pile of sand, and you want me to clean it, and you give me five hours to clear this sand, right? You give me five hours to clear this sand. And then someone else shows up and says, I want to clear this same sand, all right? I know you have five hours, but I want to clear this same sand. And I'm saying, oh, are you sure there's no other sand elsewhere? He said, well, this is where the master sent me to, to also come and clear this sand. What should my attitude be? I should be glad, right? That we will probably be done in less than what? Because there's more hands to do the job. However, in the body of Christ, the moment another sent one shows up, we get threatened. We get threatened. That means, really, our heart is not in the work. If our heart is in the work, I should rejoice that there's more hands to get this work done. There's more hands to take this city for Christ. If it will take us 10 years of intense prayers now, at least, maybe five years, then we have the nations. Are you still with me? Praise God. So where's the first place the Lord is calling us to? A place of communion. The second place, a place of worship. The third place, a place of the blessing. And the number four place is a place of preservation. Somebody say preservation. Somebody say preservation. I always say this, that there's a big difference between protection and preservation. Protection means to create a wall around, to shield. So if I have a piece of meat, now, good example, if I have a piece of meat and there is a dog in the house that is interested in consuming that piece of meat, are you still with me? Now, if I want to protect that piece of meat, part of what I can do is I can put it, maybe I can put it in a bowl, and put it in the closet in a place that my dog cannot get to it. Are you still with me? So what I've done is I have protected that piece of meat. However, I can come there in three days, four days, and discover that something is smelling in this closet. There's some, some what is it? What is it? I don't know how many of you had people that we overhide things until, until you can't find them. All right, we have witness in the house. You overhide them like, like it's meant to be somewhere. And then, oh, it's the meat. What you've done is you protected that meat, but it wasn't preserved. Hmm. It wasn't preserved. So God is saying, not only am I putting a wall of fire around you to protect you, he's saying there is a call to a place of preservation. So if what I had done was to take that piece of meat and put it in the fridge, it is both protected 
unless your dog has, you know, unique abilities to open the fridge. <laughs> all right, it is protected and also what? Preserved. A place of preservation. Psalm 91 has been one of the most popular psalms in the past two weeks. Or maybe in the past three weeks because of the, I mean, in the past we had called it an epidemic. We had called it all sorts. As of today, it has become officially a, a pandemic. And for those who don't mean, know what that means, epi means upon, an area, rapid outburst. Pan means all, multiple. So it has now been accepted officially as a global problem. All right. So many people have been, you know, going to Psalm 91 and be confessing scriptures. You know, we are protected, we are protected. It will not come near us. And it is, it is true, it will not come near us. Are you still with me? It will not come near us. So confess the word of God, believe the word of God, speak the word of God. All right. Just like the Israelites apply the, the, the blood on their lintel, you can literally take care of your postal code and say, I don't want it in this jurisdiction. I'm pleading the blood here so it's not allowed. It can, it can pass over. Because I've put the blood. Now, the, the angel doesn't check whether it's a born again, whether it's a Buddhist, whether it's a Sikh, whether it's a Muslim. It doesn't check. As far as it sees the what? The blood. So because of you, there is preservation coming to your locality. Did you hear me? It might pass in all the units in your condominium. It just keeps you. It might pass all the offices in your block. It just keeps yours. All right? Hello? Do you believe that? But there is a call to a place of preservation. And I want to show you the key. Many people miss it. Psalm 91, let's go there. Psalm 91, as we begin to tie this up together. He who dwells, somebody say dwells. dwells. What we have is people who visit the secret place. They want to enjoy the benefits of Psalm 91 and all the promises of protection, but they've not learned to dwell. He says, he who dwells, not he who visits, not he who tours, not he who comes to peep into and to live. He says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, he says, those ones that dwell, not those that visit, there is a power in their staying. I need you to follow me. There is a power in their staying that results in a form of illumination. That the light cast by that illumination produces a shadow of preservation. So it is not on day one or day two. Now, fortunately, the name of the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous can run. Somebody say run. So in the day of trouble, there's still a place we can run to. Because all these, these truths need to be balanced. You can go up now the devil says you've not been dwelling. You've not been dwelling. So it's not for you. It's not for you. You say, no, no, no. I know I've not been dwelling, but there's also a place I can run to. While I am dwelling and learning the protocols of his presence, while I'm learning to discern and to decipher his voice, while I'm learning to calm the storm on the outside and be still on the inside so I can hear him, there's still a place I can run to. Somebody said, there's a place I can run to. It's a place of safety. There's a place I can run to. A place I can go to. A place of protection. A place of preservation. However, however, the plan is not for you to stay in the city of refuge. The plan is not for you to constantly need escape, constantly need deliverance. The call on your life is to dominion, not to repeated deliverance. This deliverance, has, at some point, there should be deliverance. Hello? Hello? Not deliver today, deliver tomorrow, deliver next tomorrow, deliver next week, deliver last week. No. At some point, we are grateful for deliverance. Don't get me wrong. We are grateful that there is a place we can run to, but most importantly, there is a resting place also. A resting place. He who dwells. He who dwells. Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely, He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. You have to dwell. And I'm going to be teaching on this next week Wednesday. One of the key ways of a place where you dwell is that you serve in the place where you dwell. Because you are not a visitor. Visitors don't serve themselves in your house. Visitors don't make their meals in your house. Visitors don't even clear their plate. Sometimes you want to feel familiar, you know, and you know, go, just go into your, what do you say? Depending on the on the relationship, what do you say? Say, no, 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 don't worry. Especially when there are some fishy people, you know it's not dish, they want to dish. They just want to look around and survey your house and see what. 
you know what is here. He said, no, 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 thank you, bring your place. He said, no, I'll help you, I'll help you. This is in your house, you can do your dishes. In my house, what? Thank you. However, dwellers, dwellers, dwellers serve. And if we want to find those dwelling, we check those who are serving. Hmm. Have you been blessed this evening? Please rise to your feet because of our time. Rise to your feet. Rise to your feet. Next week, we'll be talking about the power of service. The power of service. The Lord is calling us to a place. A place of communion. A place of worship. A place where the blessing is commanded. A place of unity. And then a place of preservation. I just want you to open your mouth and say, Father, thank you. I have heard your word. I have received your word. And there is an appropriate response to your word. I receive the grace to respond appropriately. This place of communion, I need grace. I need grace for consistency. And I want you to be open. I'm giving you maybe just 120 seconds. Let him know. There are days, there are days I really don't feel like praying. There are days I really don't feel like studying my Bible. I need your help. I need your grace. I'm coming to you as a son. As the son looks to the father. I'm coming, coming to you as a child looks unto their father. And I'm saying sometimes I don't even feel like you hear me. But you are saying I should be consistent. I should show up as in my early days. As in my early days. A place of communion. Help me to say yes to consistency. Help me to say yes to consistency. To let go of my food. To let go of my sleep. To let go and to be consistent in the priority of your presence. He's calling us to a place of worship. And he's saying leave the realm of the convenient. Leave the realm of, this, of the convenient. He's saying come, come worship me. This is what I made you for. I'm seeking for those who will do it in spirit. Those who will do it in, in truth. He's calling us to a place of unity. Where the blessing is commanded. Is dealing with hurt. Is dealing with envy. Is dealing with jealousy in your hearts. Is seeing those that you genuinely feel you are more qualified than. Those that you genuinely feel you are more deserving than. He's seeing those things. You are coming to him this morning and say, Father, you see my heart. I bring it to you. Search me. Search me. Search me. You see the bitterness. You see the root cause of the, 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 the disunity. You see how hurt and offended I am at what was said. Say, help me. Help me to walk in unity. To see my brother as my brother. To see my sister as my sister. To see them as deserving of your blood. Just the way I was deserving of your blood. To see them as forgiving. Just the way I've been forgiven. To see them as justified. Just the way I've been justified. To see all of us as focused on the Christ. And to a place of preservation. A place where we dwell. A place where we stay. A place where we serve. Thank you, gracious Father. Praise the Lord and be unto your name. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power, there is power in the name. To break, to break every chain, break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is in the name. To break every chain, to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. For those of you that have a prayer language, 30 seconds, just pray in the spirit. Just 30 seconds. 30 seconds. 
It is done. Your children are free to serve, free to be consistent, free, free to worship. Those chains are broken in the name of Jesus. Those chains are broken. The chains are broken, chains are broken, chains are broken in the name of Jesus. The chains are broken in the name of Jesus. The chains are broken in the name of Jesus. The chains are broken. Thank you, Jesus. Very quickly, we don't want to go home without doing this. You are here under the sound of my voice. Maybe those who are going to be listening online and you are saying, you're speaking of invitations. I don't even know how to hear him. I don't even know how to read an invitation. I don't know what his invitation looks like. I have absolutely no relationship. You're saying, Pastor, I want you to pray with me. I know now that I need Jesus in my life. I know. I've been around church. I've tried all sorts in the past. But now I am saying I want to turn a new leaf. I am saying I want to be a part of this family. I am saying I am living that life of sin. I'm living the life of bondage. I'm living the life of struggle. And I want to receive another life. John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes not but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I am come to give you life. And to give you life abundantly. Dear child of God, there is an abundant life. This is not the life he wants you to live. He doesn't want you to live a life of struggle with sin. A life of struggle with darkness. He's saying, I can break all those chains. You're scared that if I leave it, they might come after me. He's saying, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. He's saying, receive that call. You're here, you want me to pray with you? You're saying, I don't want to live here without receiving the life of Jesus. I don't want to live here without receiving the life of Jesus. Just take your right hand and place it on your chest. I'm going to pray for you. You're saying, I'm not leaving the room without making that decision for Jesus. I'm not leaving the room without making that decision for Jesus. Don't see anybody's looking at you. Anybody expects you to have done this before. No, there is no expectation here. This is between you and your maker. This is between you and your maker. If you are here and you know genuinely that you need to learn to hear his voice. It bothers you so much that the scripture says that my sheep know my voice. And you're saying, God, sometimes I can claim that I know your voice. Most times, I'm not even sure who is speaking to me. And I say, Pastor, I wish you could also just pray with me. I want to know what his voice is like. The psalmist says, the voice of the Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is upon many waters. The waters of his word. The, his voice is released through the echoes of his word. And scripture revealed. And I say, Pastor, I need to start seeing. I need to start hearing clearly. I need to start enjoying that direction. I need to start enjoying that direction. I'm born again. I'm his sheep. I ought to know his voice. Whatever it is in my ears, I need you to pray for me. I want you also to join that group and just place your hand on your chest. And I'm going to pray for you this evening that the job, the work he's doing in you will be total. It will be complete. That your ears will pop open and you will know his voice. And hear me, not only do you know his voice, he says you'll be able to discern the voice of the stranger. So you'll be able to tell the difference. You'll be able to say, this is not God. This is not God. This cannot be the leading of the Holy Spirit. Father, we exalt your name. I pray for your children under the sound of my voice making a decision for you. Those who are saying I'm done with sin, I'm done with that life, I'm turning a new life today. Those who are saying I am your sheep, I ought to know your voice. I ought to discern the voice of the stranger. I pray for these two groups of people. You know them and you can meet them where they are. I ask that their ears will pop open. Their eyes, the scales will drop off. They will see you clearly. They are shepherd, the shepherd of our soul, the bishop of our soul. With clarity, we will receive your direction. The grace for prompt obedience we receive. For as many who have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, we acknowledge, we join faith with them, even as they say in their hearts that they acknowledge that they are sinners. And they acknowledge that the work Jesus has done is enough. That he died for their sins. That he rose again that they may have new life. And that he lives and he wants to live in them through his spirit to glorify his name. Father, I ask that you come into their hearts. You change their story. 
you will implant the joy of salvation in them and that they will save you all the days of their lives. Thank you, Father, because you have heard us. For in Jesus' name we have prayed. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Come and jam your hands together and give the Lord a big praise. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed by the sermon. And if you would love to be a part of what God is doing in our midst, feel free to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. To be a part of the giving, you can give our email at info, I-N-F-O, at kicccanada.ca or through our website at www.kicccanada.ca. God is doing amazing things in our midst and we look forward to seeing you soon. Remember, you are a champion. God bless you.